It was intended for the human to support the machine, the machine to support the human and work. And AI means something different to anybody you talk to, which is wild. This is AI or Die. Hello, everybody, and welcome to AI or Die. We are having a very special episode where we're actually in person today. Everyone, welcome Brendan. You know, very happy to have him. Happy to be here. Very happy to be here. This is, I believe, episode eight of the AI or Die podcast, which is very exciting. Um, we actually had some folks approach us at a conference last week as listeners, and they were big fans. So thank you to everybody who listens. And without further ado, let's get into the first topic. What is going on in our lives today? I think, Brandon, since you're our special guest today here in person, it'd be important to talk about what you got coming up next. What are you doing? What are you doing? So I'm about to get picked up here very shortly to drive down to Asheville, North Carolina, where I'll be spending some time with the family. We're doing a nice little family reunion in a cabin down there. So that should be a good time to take a little breather. And then heading out to Spain next week. So very excited for that. Going to be a good time. Spend some time in Barcelona. So nice summer vacations for me coming up here after a while not taking time off. So I'm pretty excited. Seriously, <laughs> he's kind of underplaying it. Brendan's actually going to be living in Barcelona for quite a long time. Yeah, for a bit there. Well, my girlfriend's going back to school, so we'll kind of see how that goes and kind of hang out in Barcelona for a while. It's going to be great. I actually just got back from Barcelona two weeks ago. My wife and I just went for like four days out there, and it is the most beautiful and just nice, like kind people, and just the most delicious food as well. Oh, the food is you, so you've good. Been as well, right? Yeah, I love Spain. Super beautiful. Tons of stuff, fun stuff to do, great shopping, lots of good fashion there. Yeah, that was the first thing you asked me when I got back. You're like, did you do any shopping? I was like, food shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really go clothes shopping or anything like that. So. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so very excited for you. Um, we wanted to squeeze in this podcast just for all the listeners out there because since he's in town, let's grab a room, let's do this in person. We've been doing the first seven or so episodes virtually, so it's nice to finally get together between one firm. Between one first. Um, this is episode seven. <laughs> this is episode seven. Okay, apologies to the listeners. Did it again, this is episode seven. It depends on how you count down the episodes. Episode zero might have been the first episode instead of episode one. Either way, we're cooking. We're we're pushing these out. I don't know when's the next time we're gonna be able to do an in-person podcast like this. Oh, we'll go to Spain. Oh, yeah, I like that actually. Yes, next episode in Spain. Mm -hmm. That'd be a lot of fun. AI or die goes to Spain. AI or die fully in Spanish as well. So, like, an English <laughs> translation for that episode, too. That would be rough. So, that's what's going on in your life, Brendan. Reagan, I'd like to pass it over to you. What is going on in your life? Yeah, so DCC, the Data Connect Conference, was last week. And for those of you that aren't familiar, um, it's a conference that I've been running in Columbus since 2016. Uh, and we got pretty big this year, so I was super happy with how everything turned out. Speakers were phenomenal. We're going to talk about some of the topics that were covered during uh, the event last week. It was super fun. Um, it's like my Christmas. I always say that. Like It's like a big family reunion because the community is so tight and so close, and it's just like good vibes all the time. People just are very excited, talkative, supportive. Um, and we get to talk about super fun topics. So we had 13 or 1400 people. Wow, that's huge. Um, yeah, at the event. And of course, I had some of the people that I respect the most in the industry show up and speak, and so that was really great to meet them, and we can talk about that. But yeah, it's been, it's been a whirlwind. Yeah, one of my, big, I'm the biggest fan of Chip Huey, and she, she was there, she actually did a book signing, and it was cool, you guys gave out like 100 books or something like that. 
so she can sign it too. Yep, she she has a book. Um, I think it's through O'Reilly. It's Designing Machine Learning Systems. It's a fabulous book. Very I just book. called yeah. it out uh, on the Super Data Science podcast with John um, as one of my favorite books. It's so good, and I think it's just because Brendan and I, if you've been listening, we have a, a background in MLOps. That's what we love. Uh, we've been spending a lot of our careers talking about it, and she just does a fabulous job of communicating the core concepts around MLOps, and she's written quite a few things about large models, large language models in production as well. So, yeah, uh, she keynoted, which is amazing. It's fantastic, and yeah, just being there, I'd never been to the conference before. It was it just, the way it was set up, it was on multi-floors, they had a whole massive stage with screens and everything as well. You probably see it on LinkedIn if you go anywhere near like the Align AI or the Women in Analytics LinkedIn profiles as well. Tons of energy, it was fantastic conference and I'm very, very proud that it was in Columbus. That's just a Columbus native too. That's really good. Yeah. Really good. I, I I always get very confused faces by speakers and sometimes attendees that what, are it's like, in Columbus. It's yeah. in Columbus. Yeah. You know? But hey, I mean, like I said, we've been running it here forever. So um yeah, it's been great. We had a lot of international folks that showed up. We signed tons of visa letters oh, yeah. for people to come into the US for the event. So that was really fun. Come out next year. I don't know if you have a date picked yet, but we do. Oh wow! Okay. July twenty fifth and twenty sixth, twenty twenty four. July twenty fifth. Come out to Columbus, folks. You won't regret it. Yeah, you won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything else going? Really? Besides the conference, I mean, that was huge. But anything else? Are you hinting at something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some news that's worth sharing with listeners. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. Well, I have a fiance now, so yeah. Can you just do a quick flash of the camera, just like the quick look? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Hey, congratulations. Do, do a quick congratulations. Zoom in on my face. Quick zoom in on, on yeah. her interface. That's great. Yes. Recently engaged. We cannot wait. We hope personally we're invited to the world. Oh my god! Uh, if so, <laughs> fingers crossed. If so, we're gonna try and do a live podcast episode. For oh, stop it! To do like while she's walking down the aisle right. in the background, we're talking about data and data science great. and stuff like that. Too. No, it'll be fun. It'll be so fun. Very excited for you. Cannot wait for that wedding as well. Um, and with that, I'm trying to think about things that are personally going on in my life is too. I think. For us, we're having, because Brennan's in town, a bit of an all-hands meeting on the Align AI side of things, too. So it's great just to be in person this week with each other. We're getting dinners. Like, we're having a lot of these whiteboard meetings together as well. So that's been great for me. Um, my wife, she's a second-grade teacher, and she's going to be going back to school, starting school back up in just a couple weeks. So definitely savoring the last couple weeks where she's around and just hanging out around the house, too. And then outside of that, just a ton of training that we're putting on, along with the product development efforts, too, that we're very excited about. That's the other side of things. This is AI or die. Let's get into the news. So any recent articles jump out to you guys. I think for me, I saw Sam Altman put out WorldCoin this week, which essentially is his approach to worldwide currency. The thing that struck me was he basically uses a bowling ball sized chrome sphere that scans your retinas like men in black style. And then that is your humanity ID in a way. So it scans your retinas and then they're trying to essentially reduce the fraud that happens. So look into this chrome bowling ball and then that is your identity for humanity and then that is how you get a world coin. So that launch, I thought that was super interesting, just starting to merge kind of like the open AI with a lot of the crypto news that's been happening too. What about you guys? Any or First, before we get into your articles, reflections on that, would you look into a Chrome ball <laughs> to get your identity for a world coin? It's pretty cool that it is a retina scan. I wonder how often, like, or how available that's going to be for people to actually use. Like, are we going to go to, like, the bodega down the street or, like, the corner market store and, like, look into something? Is like, it's a whole different type of authentication piece. Yeah. But 
you know, facial identities worked really well for like the phones, so might as well go retina, I guess, but just another way for them to track and know who we are, I guess, so. But also, what isn't Sam Altman working on? Like a, a currency, like. I know, it, that, that just seems kind of random to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd be really curious to understand like the history of that, like wanting to work on that. There's gotta be a reason. Yep. You know? Yep, agree. Kind of in a similar vein, Twitter's now X. <laughs> Not sure how that how long that's gonna stick around. They announced that they were gonna rebrand it, and it's like the next morning they basically said, "We are X now, and this is what it is." Uh, very interesting brand. So instead of saying I follow LeBron James on Twitter, it's I something LeBron James on X. Like it's they're even changing the word in terms of following. It's like I'm connected to you or something like that too. Mm. So really changing a lot of the branding on on the Twitter sphere and the Elon Musk side of things too, which is interesting. I don't know. Response to X. Are you excited to instead of tweet? I don't know what the verbs. I don't are. even care. Yeah. 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 Elon Musk really likes the letter X. He I wonder does. what is like his affinity to that, that letter of all letters. Right, because X turned to PayPal, X.com, but then his son SpaceX. has an X. SpaceX is in there as well. He has a wow. Model X and Tesla's too. Like, yeah. I don't know. Something something with piracy, maybe X. I don't think I have a favorite letter. I feel like I should have a favorite letter. X is letter. a sweet letter. X is a pretty it's cool, cool letter. letter. It's symmetrical. It's a variable, right? Like, all the jokes are saying that like X is like the symbol for closing a window or like deleting an account or something um, like that. So that's where they're trying to get it to go. Yeah, X out. Well, um, in AI news, yeah. there was obviously a lot of conversation around responsible AI from all the big players. So OpenAI, Anthropic, Google, Microsoft, um, they are creating the Frontier Model Forum. Um, which basically from their definition is um, a frontier model, a large-scale machine learning model that exceeds the capabilities currently present in most the most advanced existing models and can perform a wide variety of tasks. So they have some core objectives of the forum. Advancing AI safety research is kind of the, at the forefront of that. People can join the forum as well. Um, I think it's interesting. They were obviously meeting with the White House. Mm -hmm. Um, to establish or join the forum. Uh, they've, they've promised to establish or join the forum, which I think is a really nice marketing play for them. Um, we'll see how practical and operational some of this stuff is. Um, we were at the conference, actually, Carol, um, who is on episode, I think, five or six. Yeah. Um, so go back and, and take a listen to that. But she's been an AI lawyer for a while now. And you know, we talked a lot about operationalizing some of these policies and laws that are getting put into place. I think the forum is less so around law and more so around best practice. Um, there's a lot of bias detection and kind of certification conversations happening um, around model development and, and deployment and usage. Um, so, so that's been really interesting. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, that just happened, so I figured I'd bring that. Well, I feel like the fact that they're going to the White House is finally, because like we've heard a lot about stuff coming out of the EU and other countries mm -hmm. as well. Like, is this finally a step in the US, like taking this thing seriously and actually coming up with some sort of a central body to govern these things? Yeah, I think it's interesting, because like you can put a ton of policy around, around it, sure. but other players in the world are, they may not have similar restrictions or follow similar restrictions, mm -hmm. and so, there's such a delicate balance between putting policy in place and trying to enforce that and dumping a bunch of money in to enforce yeah. that versus, you know, create kind of a reputational damage element, I guess. 
um, which larger players are definitely going to take into consideration because you can tie dollars to that. Um, because a lot of the, those organizations that I just mentioned are, are targeting the enterprise. Yeah. And so enterprises obviously have their own reputational risk at hand. <clears throat> One of the most interesting things that Carol and I were talking about was like, who owns the burden if something does go wrong? Right. So right. she had mentioned, you know, if you <clears throat> bought a tool that's leveraging AI and there was some sort of discrimination that happened. We were using the example of these automated like candidate evaluation tools um, yeah. and and so you know does the tool own that burden you know do they get sued or does the company get sued for using it and on top of that how much you know the, there are certain laws like NYC local law 144 which yeah. I think we mentioned yeah in the episode with Carol but like they're requiring a third party bias audit um, for tools like that. If you are gonna be leveraging it, how much power do, do the companies or the users have to require these vendors to you know, be able to, to have explainability and transparency around some of the stuff. So it's just getting kind of like fuzzy. And I think the risk is too high in a lot of cases and so companies are just like avoiding it. Yeah, I think it's particularly interesting around like is the onus on the tool or is it on the user or is it on the company actually pay for the tool to use it too. Any thoughts on your side being persuaded that? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, the airlines and the planes, right? Like mm -hmm. there's still onus on everybody basically involved, right? When that you know, bad happens with air travel, like I think it's a similar kind of system, right? Like if you provide it to your customers, you're somewhat on the hook. And if your customers are people who are providing it to customers, like the people like Boeing who create the planes and give them to, you know, Southwest Airlines or whatever that may be, like it's kind of the entire value chain responsible when they bring it in to be able to like manage this effectively. I do think it's going to be very convoluted, it's going to be very complicated yeah. as far as like how they create those controls around it, but again I'm just very happy that AI, because the nature of what AI is, has so much control up front that people are talking about and bringing, you know, and having awareness of compared to other technologies where we've just kind of like started using them and then found out we're a little bit more like let's figure it out as we are, let's figure out how to control it as we use it. Thanks mostly to sci-fi movies. So thank you, sci-fi movies. Well, yeah, <laughs> and we, we've been using AI forever. So yeah. I think the fact that it didn't get as much hype until now, and we've, yeah. got, we've got some muscle memory, yeah. some experience and exposure to some of the challenges, they're new and more, um, more complicated now because of the techniques being used. But we have some muscle memory around what could go wrong. Um, and so I think, you know, that's important to keep in mind for a lot of folks is that AI is not new. Uh, it's just that this level is different and we're kind of crossing over that threshold where we are seeing some new challenges with it. Um, but what I find to be very interesting is that local law that I had mentioned also requires that you let the end user know that AI is being, is literally the, the key decisioning factor for whether or not you move on in the process. And I think that's very fascinating. Like this disclaimer that is actually useful, understandable, readable by the end user, yeah. where I'm aware of what you're doing and what factors you take into consideration, because it also mentions that. Yeah. So not only do you have to let them know that AI is being used to do an automated decision process, but you also have to let them know which factors about them are being taken into consideration right. to determine that output. I love that, I think that's great. Um, I think every system should do that. 
they're also talking about watermarking, yeah. um, anything that is using AI, including images and video and audio somehow. Um, so that's also interesting. Well, it kind of starts to bridge like an interesting problem to solve from a UX standpoint in that way too, of like how intuitive are we going to make it or how obvious are we going to make it to users related to that AI is being used here? How obvious are the watermarks going to be? What are the problems actually going to look like when they jump up in your, in your workflow too that I think is going to be very interesting? Yeah, and I actually just got off the call talking with a data scientist about really we worked with a client on a model that predicts issues in their supply chain and a lot of it has been we need people to trust this model and in order to make them trust it that's been like a major learning in the last release of the model so now we're really focused on the techniques that are more explainable but it also opens up this like can we tell them like the features or the factors that are going into the model that's a big piece of explaining how this thing is coming to that result and that's also a critical piece for the UX for the adoption is to have that explainability. So, especially because you know AI has been around for a long time, but now we're seeing it proliferate in a lot more use cases. I think we're going to find out a lot more about like what does it take for somebody to trust this thing. So I love the idea of watermarking just to know and have that transparency of like what you're working with or saying disclaimers. Here is something from AI. Here's what we considered. I think that makes it a lot more easy to trust and easy to understand how it's making that decision. Yeah, it kind of forces this, um, it forces you to operationalize some of these responsible frameworks too. Because if that is a requirement, we now have to be very thoughtful about feature selection. You know what I mean? Um, whereas before it was like, well, let's just look at the statistical performance of these features and see what happens. You know, and of course, in regulated industries, that's not the case because they literally can't use some fields for that or proxy uh, attributes for, for things that would fall under like discrimination, like zip code or, or race or age. But like, it is forcing us to be maybe a little bit more thoughtful about crafting those features and the feature engineering process because we will inevitably have to inform the end user. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, as long as it's thought up on the front end and there's some incentive for the team either through needing to inform the user at the end of the day or some other, other motivator, whether it's a requirement or something different, of like to include that conversation on the front end related to that. Bring up an interesting thought there too, is like, how are we going to tell which features we're using? Because features are often transformed, they're unclear names, like right. is it age, date of birth, like is it, you know, there's so many different ways to model something and make it very convoluted. So I wonder if that will also become like interesting part of this problem is like how do we provide transparency to the features because I've seen feature sets that are just like crazy garbly goop names you know yeah um, because the data scientist knows but like now we have to like create a shared understanding with our users as well so yeah I think UX for AI is gonna be really cool and interesting for the next couple yeah of I think years. before it might have been thought of as their own kind of private workspace in that way but now that they're having to open this up is like okay is it the same space that I'm using but I need to be much more disciplined and clean around how I'm labeling things or do I create a second kind of set set up where, where the outside will have access to it too. Yeah, we at the conference we talked a lot about this user experience scenario. We talked about trust, we talked about change management, we talked about more of the softer stuff, which I know for my deep data scientist tech nerds like don't love that topic. <laughs> or is not as interesting uh, to talk about because the technical nuances are also super fun and interesting. But it is honestly the biggest challenge that I've observed in organizations to actually adopting and seeing value out of this stuff is really some of the softer, softer skills and softer elements, which is like, how do we get everyone to speak the same language? How do we get everyone to 
buy into the entire process and get them yeah. to understand what contributions they need to make yeah. during that entire process. And so I think as we're talking about UX, like this is such a different shift because you would never talk yeah. about UX or user experience if you weren't referring to a product. And people sometimes don't see these things as products, they see them as projects. Like first do, you know, first do your research, then do this, then do that. And I think that's kind of a fascinating mental shift for these larger kind of more legacy companies. I should add a caveat to that. But um, you know, that that's been fascinating. And I think the more you treat it like a product, the more you put, well, okay, because we have a product, a feature is explainability, and explainability might include listing out the features and the definitions of those features yep. and the context of that within the model. And if we have to do that, then we need to have lineage in the model. And then you start getting into some of the technical like nuances, but it's kind of driven by this like overarching need to be able to incorporate different types of personas across the organization format for maximum adoption. And that's one of the, because for those who don't know, I end up doing a lot of classes with enterprises related to data and AI. And those are the biggest themes of like, how can we get folks, one, to align on terminology and just practices surrounding all the tools that we have in our infrastructure, but also help us emphasize the culture of data as a product. And people considering not only the insights that they create, whether it's a report or a dashboard or even something that's much more interactive like a story, think of that as a data product. And then also teams thinking about the ML models that they produce as a platform in a way too. And I think it's very interesting. It's something that both of you, kind of with your product background, have really been harping on over the years. So that mm -hmm. I just want to shine a light on of like, guys, think of it more as a product in that way. Yeah, it's an interesting reflection too that <clears throat> ML ops is a big buzzword and like it's kind of working backwards from the technical into some of these problems because like product AI product management is not as like clear outside of the big bang tech companies, right? So it's kind of interesting that you saw these like in that MLOps space mm -hmm. around like, we're gonna put this into production and then, oh yeah, users are gonna to touch it. <laughs> and like, what are they gonna see when they start touching it, right, or start using it? Um, so yeah, it's pretty interesting to think about like, compared to like software or compared to other technology paradigms, like MLOps, which is the more, you know, heavy automation pieces or more technical aspects is also kind of lumped in a lot of these explainability, a lot of this like end user interface pieces compared to like, design or other paradigms, right? So mm -hmm. I wonder if that will kind of shift now that we have like the technical capabilities underneath to be able to provide this to the business. Now, the next couple of years will be a lot of UX, a lot of product, a lot mm -hmm. of that kind of thinking mm -hmm. to make these models truly successful. So that's what we see and that's what we do all the time. So yeah. um, I think the rest of the, the world will kind of catch up with that mentality too. Yeah. It is fascinating that we end up teaching like high level concepts of MLOps in product classes. Oh yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like it's so interesting because I think it's where the the tire meets the road. You know what I mean? It's like what, how do we actually do it? Um, and so we end up teaching things like okay, if we're trying to calculate ROI, which actually I was at a panel yesterday and someone came up to me and was at the conference last week and was like, I loved the way you were talking about this, but how do we tag? How do we actually tag what? people put into the model, what they get back out, how they would, if they liked it or not, if they didn't, how they adjust a bit. Like there's all of these like user level metrics that we want to capture about people interfacing with these systems to try to understand performance and usability and whether or not we're achieving the, the user objectives with the model or the product that the model is feeding. 
And I just think that's fascinating because it's a lot more overhead than people think. When they think about AI, they're not really thinking about that. Yeah. And that somewhat has to do with MLOps because there's like a performance element to it. Yeah. But it, it, it is super fascinating. Um, and, and now I think people are thinking of AI in the context of generative, yeah. which I have to keep telling people, you know, generative AI is a thing inside of this massive ecosystem of AI. And, um, and it's great and it's awesome, but it's generating like new content. It's a model technique that generates new content. Um, and it, in the panel yesterday, it was like Lieutenant Governor of Ohio was putting this panel on to basically talk about, to address kind of how jobs are gonna be changing and what sort of impact AI is gonna have on the state of Ohio. And one of the, basically the major theme was, this is a fundamental skill that kids are gonna need to learn. Yep. And one of the most interesting things that he brought up was of what age do we start to expose like kids to generative oh, AI an and yeah. you know is this is this more of a they were calling it a tutor but like is it a co-pilot where you already know the information and it makes you more productive or does it actually teach you things and how do you trust what it's going to teach you because a lot of people were saying like you can't trust it yeah don't let it give you information that yeah. you don't already know. Yeah. And the other side of the coin, you know, was people saying, well, I've learned a lot by using it. And am I learning the right things? And, you know, th there's no guardrails yet. Yeah, I feel like we should riff on that for a bit. because we're Agreed. Agreeing. I think that's a good debate, actually. Yeah. Like, I know I, I went all over the place on that. I ended up in a good spot. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, because like, I think, like, so generative, like, the capabilities of the LLMs, right, is, like, partially large language models is this ability to generate new content, which is very transformative. It also enables this question and answer piece, right? So like Google lets, used to let us do this too, right? Or it still does, but we were learning basically like intent-based querying of right. the world's knowledge, right? right? Like that was what Google kind of did like the first step in, and now ChatGPT in particular, like I love that style of the interface because I can ask it very pointed questions and it will give me resources back, right? Now the onus is on me, of course, to like either one, know to validate that, or two, I have to follow yeah. up and validate it. So the analogy I've been using is like, when I was in school, it was Wikipedia, right? Like Wikipedia made so much available, helped yeah. you so much in school, but you couldn't cite it because it wasn't accurate yeah. enough, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, to me, it's the same kind of thing of like teaching everybody, uh, but especially younger folks, like this is the information age, this is the misinformation age, like there is so much out there, but you also have to like develop the second skill set. It's not about like, yeah looking through a library of books anymore. It's about like going to the internet and then validating what you find on the internet based on good sources, similar to like what we used to do with Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's just a really interesting concept around like the nature of education is gonna change rapidly, or really just how we learn stuff, not even the education system itself. But how can we build in the controls, the guardrails, the yeah. also the skill sets to know how to validate, when to validate, what seems off, especially when we're approaching yeah, I've heard teams refer to it as like Google Foo in terms of like how to do better Google problems and research. It's it's prompt engineering. It prompt engineering in that way too. Um, but I think it's also interesting because you need to learn that ability to do your own research from an independent standpoint. Like ChatGPT, like Google, is a great front end as like a first portal into the wide reaching data that's out there in the internet. 
But just because that's the first thing that it delivers back to you or that's the thing that it, it shows you doesn't mean that's a single source or that's a single truth that you should think about. Is there any tools that you guys have seen that help you double check the responses that ChatGPT gives you? Or is it really just like your keenness to do additional searching on the internet afterwards? So one thing I'll, I'll say is I've been asking ChatGPT, can you give me sources well, yeah. that would be, and like, I don't know if it actually uses those sources in the previous answers, but it is able to essentially recommend sources to investigate further, essentially double check what it says. But I will say I don't actually use ChatGPT much to like find new information very much mm -hmm. anymore. Yep. Or I'll like have it point me in the right direction and then like search terms that it gives me back to go dive in deeper. Yeah. Right. So it does have the ability though to recommend sources, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Any purchase that you've taken or? Well, I've just seen a lot of tools go out and make some pretty bold claims that they can, one, detect whether or not something generated was, like, detect content was generated by AI or not, which I've seen a lot of people say that that's, we're beyond that now. Um, meaning they don't do that. Yeah. Or they haven't seen any that went well. Yeah. Um, and the second one was this read on whether or not the information coming back is, is accurate or factual. And we go right back into <laughs> the exact problem that we had with social media. Like people do it too. People are super inaccurate and not factual. And it doesn't help that we can create fake content. But on top of that, people are also wrong. So it's like going on right. Twitter yeah. for your news. Right. You can get some news and headlines and like go in that direction, you know, to go down a couple of radicals. But people are wrong, and so are mo these models. And so just kind of treat it that way. Like, do you just trust a random person on Twitter? No. Or X, sorry, whatever. Well, I think that's, that's also the thing that people need to get through is it's not like it's a net new genius that we've never had before. It's just an organization of our humanity's thoughts that we've put on the internet so far today. So it's not like it's this new thing that is the almighty like truth compared to anything else that exists on the internet. It's again that front end in that way that just organizes some truth, some false information, but it exists out there. And it organizes it to really point back to exactly what you asked it for, which helps a lot with the convenience and makes it much more approachable, too. Yeah, just another thought there, too. I've been reading through um, a couple of books on LLMs. There's also been a lot of conversation, like the MLOps slash LLMOps com communities around oh, yeah. <laughs> testing quality, like how do we measure these things? And it's super interesting because it like gets to be subjective with text, like, you know, summarize this page. What is a good summary? Like, what yeah. pieces would I pull out? What pieces would you pull out? Like, it's like going from the realm of math, which is like super objective, to the world of like liberal arts and like English reading, right? Where it's more like creative or subjective. So, I guess it would be a very interesting, like philosophical point of like, what is a ground truth for something that is more creative, or like, what is you know, how do we measure the accuracy of this? I think it's a really cool problem to solve. Yeah, I'm putting together an intro to um, generative AI talk. Uh, I gotta finish my slides. <laughs> and it's tomorrow. <laughs> um, but we, we started a generative AI meetup um, locally. There's another company, Meantium, who's really leading the charge here too um, on creating a, a community. So, so it's been super fun. So we're on meetup number two. Um, but one of the slides I have in there is like context matters. Um, and the example I give is, is the word queen closer to king or twin? 
And it depends on the context. Like, should we group queen with king or should we group queen with twin? Well, it depends on if you're talking about people, royalty, or are you talking about bed sizes? Right, king is also a bed size. Thing. Oh, it is. Right. <laughs> so maybe that's not a great example. Maybe prince. Go for prince. Prince. Princess. 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 Yes, yes, yes. Great. I'll change it to princess. You're right. Call me on that one. Um, but you get the concept. Like, you know, is it is it closer to a bed or are we talking about royalty? And so the answer could be yes for both of those. They are related. But it depends on the context. And that's why prompt engineering is so important, because your goal is to provide as much context in the prompt to yeah. guide the model to give you back what's more useful. Yeah. And it's not that it, you know, queen isn't as related to princess as it is to twin. Yeah. It's just that it is if I'm asking about something different. And I think that's the way to think about these models is you've got to be able to provide enough context for it to give you more accurate or useful information back. And uh, and so I kind of dive into that. Which I think that's a fantastic metaphor for model development inside of organizations too, in terms of the business giving the right amount of context yes. to that core technical team around like what we need the model to do. Full, full circle. Yeah, full circle. Yeah. On that uh, and, like, and then that's why I talk about a lot of this Wishy stuff or like the hard stuff yeah. with um, AI adoption. It's if you don't already know what you want or what your objective is, or if you don't have the context or the data to provide the context for the model, it's never going to learn the right thing or it's never going to provide the right thing. And you know that's the issue that we run into. That's why people are really concerned about data quality. Well, what is quality? It's also contextual. Right. Um, and we have this conversation with our our customers all the time. So, you know, it's, I think that's one of the beautiful nuances of AI is that it, there is this like fun kind of artsy element to it or artistic element to it. A big reason why Hollywood's on strike too, just waiting. Oh yeah. Just because that's also the creative aspect and the limits that we're pushing with a lot of this generative AI that's coming out in terms of the creativity, in terms of the, the delivery back, but also I would argue as we get better at prompt engineering, how creative the human is in terms of inputting in inputs and seeing what it gets back to. The speed of it, I think, really helps with the creative process in that way. Yeah, people were a little mad because Netflix posted a $900,000 like, salary AI job yeah. right when everybody's kind of like on strike to try to protect creators, writers, mm -hmm. actors, mm -hmm. so. Yep. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I want to talk about AI as it exists today. Yeah. The caveats there, it could go very, very different. Like, there's a Black Mirror episode that kind of gets into this whole thing. Um, and they poke fun at Netflix for it, too, which is pretty, pretty awesome. But I think right now it's still, like, similar to, like, what we saw with, like, in music. There was, like, DJs that are remixing stuff and showing sure. together. Like, the skill set went from the actual, like, technical, like, making the thing to more of that selection, the curation, like, putting in context, putting things together. I feel like there's still an opportunity for AI, or for artists with AI to be able to be more AI powered. For sure. Obviously, of course, there's concerns around like, can they automate the full workflow? But um, I do think it's a similar paradigm shift around like, there's still the ability to use it as a tool to create stuff and curate the overall kind of experience for the people who are experiencing the art, whatever it may be. Um, so I've been using it more and more for like creative writing. Yeah. And I've found it more like, it's definitely not good enough yet to like, fully write stuff, but it can help you brainstorm, it can help you edit, yeah. like it can really augment your workflow and save you a lot of time. So Riffing with AI in that way. Riffing it, with AI. It, it's a great like riff kind of creative side person to help you. I, I can't believe I just called it a person in that way too. Like 
that's the difference as you were talking about musicians. I think about DJs like Girl Talk, who really mash together like a ton of different artists. Talk. There's a respect to it because there's a human still behind that artist in that way. Whereas AI, we, I'm struggling with it right now, not thinking about it as a person, as like a being in that way, even though the interaction within the front ends that we've created for it feels so human, like a chat. You know, it, it sounds so human in that way too, which it's more. I've never had that problem. I, I feel like because it's like just numbers and compute and stats in my brain at all times, I'm like, I know exactly what it's doing. You never humanized Clippy in Microsoft Word back in the day? No, like man. The, any oh, maybe, the maybe, Clippy. On. Yeah. maybe Clippy. Maybe Clippy, yeah. <laughs> give it eyes and give it like eyelashes yeah, and things yeah. like that and starts to humanize it, yeah. Anthropomorphizing it, right? Yeah. I wonder if that's why they call it anthropic for the folks that launch Claude. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, no, I think it's like, it's like a person you can't annoy them. Right, like it's right. That's like the good thing is you can pitch it bad ideas. You can use it for stupid questions. It's like Google, right? It's yeah. like Google, but more feels more real. Right? Yeah, I uh, there was a I know that they put a lot of guardrails around these models as well. So there's still a lot of human intervention and screening and filters and things that they do um, to try to protect, you know, reputation. Like it's not going to cuss you out, kind of thing. Right. Um, but there are ways around that with other like foundational models on how you can train on top of it. And I actually was talking to someone um, who's local who was messing around with it and adding different attitudes to different chats. And it was like, that one was super sassy. Like yeah. just <laughs> was actually giving you some sass back. <laughs> I love that. It's like TARS from Interstellar where it's like, turn up the comedy level or like turn up the serious level too. Yeah. I think that should totally be a feature. It's like fun. everybody likes to interact with a different level of sass in that thing. Yeah. 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 That's great. So back to the debate real quick, what age do you think we should start exposing education and kids to AI as a tool in that way? Like any thoughts on that? I, I think high school, or, or at least eighth grade, but maybe I'm an old soul in that way. Like I think it's still such a new tool, it's hard to make wide sweeping like rules around, let's do it as early as K through four or something like that. If it helps, nobody on the panel had an answer. Oh, nice. Okay. Not a single person made a stance, said an answer. You know, it's just, I think you'd have to look at somebody from, you'd have to look at maybe some of the science behind the developmental stages of, of kids. Makes sense. Yeah. And understand impression and the ability to comprehend certain concepts because, or like risk. Um, and everybody has a different opinion on something like that anyway. And obviously we're not talking like policies or legal elements to that. We're talking about just like what makes sense. Um, because I think there is a certain element of risk that they have to be able to, that, that any user has to be able to comprehend when interfacing with it, especially today. Um, just where we're at, which I think is still pretty basic. Very early, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're really still early. I think, I know it's exciting and we're making tons of progress, but like it, this is very basic still. So. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to it per se. It would probably be better suited question for somebody who, who understands child, you know, psychology, psychology yeah, yeah. development. But. Yeah, I'll, I'll give a bold answer. I'll Great. say I'm not a parent, so it's not, it's a yeah. purely caveat, 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 yeah. caveat, but I feel like it's just with the rest of the internet, right? Like you would watch your kid go on the internet the first couple of times, you'd make sure they understand, like maybe there'll be like the safe search equivalents or yeah. there'll be some good controls and guardrails around like what they're able to access, but. To me, it is very much an extension of the internet, similar concerns, but it's like your phone, it's like all the other technology, right? Like you don't really yeah. let them go full rampage when they're eight years old, right? Like you put things in place to make sure that they're not going and doing things inappropriate. Like yeah. same kind of controls you put on the rest of the internet. It's really just like 
the best or the best front end or interface available for the internet, right? I will say, I mean, if we look at precedent too, which I think is another good thing that you're bringing up, like what have we seen in terms of precedent? Um, there's, you know, YouTube had this problem with content exposed to children. Yeah. And it was actually taken to DC, right? Like there were many discussions that were happening in the political space. And they have, whenever you post something to YouTube, content to YouTube, they have, like, is this made for kids? Is this content yeah. suitable for children? Yeah. And then they also are doing some clever things in the back end to try to detect some of that. And they've got some parental controls in place. Yeah. I think what's very fascinating about these models, and um, I'm going to throw Mantium's name out there again because I just love what they're doing, is like we need to be able to put some controls around the data that is being exposed to the models, that the model is being you that the model is being trained on, and the kinds of responses that we get back. So, but what I mean by that is like, how do we determine number one if content is child appropriate? Um, and then the second thing to that is how do we filter these things? How do we put the right controls on these things tactically? Yeah. Because it's you grab a bunch of data. I'm over. I'm drastically oversimplifying this, but you grab a bunch of language data, you put it in vector space, like create, make numbers out of language, basically, and and then once it's in this like big ecosystem where you're creating relationships between words in number form, like how do you take some out and keep some in? You know what I mean? So like this is kind of the problem from a security standpoint that Mantium's working on, where you're able to do that. So imagine you're a company and you've got like a big knowledge repository. And of course we have roles-based access control for all of that. I can't go and see what my senior leadership would, you know, is, is putting out about finances or something like that. Um, but if you dump all of that into a vector database and you train a model on it and people can query it, <clears throat> what's to keep me from querying, querying that information? And I think that's one of the challenges amongst many that companies are having about moving in this direction. How can we secure and create access controls around what you're exposed to as you're querying that model? And so I think that's really fascinating. That's yeah. something that they're working on. And I think it's relevant to this conversation totally. with if we're going to start putting parental controls or if we're going to start putting yeah. specific filters on these things, what does that look like? Yeah, especially for like HR, healthcare data, world yeah. certain individuals in an organization should see it and not. Now I'm kind of wondering, are they working on a, you know how there's YouTube kids, is there going to be a chat GPT for kids where it's like only a filtered information as a front end for kids to use as well? Mm -hmm. Probably not. That's such a hairy thing to try and plan up on. But uh, any additional thoughts, guys, on, on what we talked about? Because we are running up on time here, folks. Um, just any closing thoughts from you guys before I go ahead and wrap up? No, it's it's a fun it's a fun time to be in the space as Agreed. always. Agreed. I'm just I'm happy we launched the pod. We're going to be doing um, like less frequent episodes, but we'll still keep it humming along. We've got a lot going on here at Align AI, so we're trying to stay focused on on that. Um, but yeah, it's great. I've got a lot of energy coming out of last week, and you know I'm excited for some of the things that we're we're working on right now. Agreed. Very exciting times at Align AI. Thank you all for listening in to episode eight, episode great of AI or Die. As always, seven, can, dude. Episode seven. All right, lucky number seven. As always, you can listen or die by going to wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, along with reach out to us at getaligned.com. Thank you all for listening in. We will see you on the next one. Thanks, everybody.